There's always a way out because God is always sovereign. Who's glad that God is always sovereign? God is always in charge. Now note, please, that there are not seven easy steps to an instant solution, not seven ingredients for the magic formula. I've never been one to tell you that life is going to be easy, life is going to be so, you know, just follow these simple steps. That's not what I'm talking about. It will require faith. Your faith and commitment must get involved. Very rarely are there any quick solutions in life. Please, someone agree with me, please. Very rarely. We're living in an instant society. I had a phone call this, this last week from my old administrator 30-odd years ago when I was uh, in, the, in the church, in Ilford Church, and, and we just transitioned from a typewriter to a computer. Does anybody know when I used the, the term 486? Does anybody know what a 486 was? There's one or two of you. A 486 was one of the early computers. It was so slow you could die. (laughs) But it was better than a typewriter because you could correct your mistakes. And they used the 486 computer to send the first mission to to, to the moon. So it was pretty, pretty okay. Now, of course, we've got multi, multi speeds and what have you. And if your internet speed is not such that you can't get instant access, you've got something, you've got a problem. You're phoning up. You're phoning up AOL or whoever. It's too slow. We're living in instant society. But in this story today, we're going to remind ourselves that King David, well, I keep calling him king, he's not king yet, for seven long years, he has been waiting for the fulfilment of a promise that God gave him. God anointed him through Samuel, who's now passed on. And he knows that he's one day going to become king. Everyone else around him knows he's going to become king. His best friends knew that he was going to become king. But for seven years, all he's done is be chased by King Saul around a a wild desert. And at this particular stage in the story that we're going to read in a little while, he has no idea how many more years he's going to be being chased. He has no idea whether it's going to be one year, ten years or whatever. In actual fact, he's going to become king within two years. But he didn't know that. It could be another 30 years as far as he's concerned. There are no instant solutions when it comes to spiritual things. You may well be in the middle of a trial and you'd like God to remove you from that trial. You're saying, Lord, please. But God is a God who knows the beginning from the end and he has a game plan for your life. And part of that game plan will be the patience test. And we're going to look at the patience test. But before we do that, let's, part, let's read part of the story that I'm talking about this morning from David. So if you have the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 27 is where we're reading. We'll pick up on the first little phrase in a little while, but I'll just read the Bible for the moment. 1 Samuel 27. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of whoever he is, king of Gath. And David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him and David had his two wives, Ahir... I ought to practice the pronunciation of their names. But anyway, but Abigail, I can pronounce her name of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. And we looked at that story a couple of weeks ago. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favour in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? 
So on that day Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. He's been on the run for seven months. He's going to be here for another 14 months, and then he's going to become king. He had no idea at that stage. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story because I'm going to try and cover three chapters here today. So here we've got the situation. David thought to himself that he would, out of his own safety and safety for his family and his followers, he would go to live in the land of the Philistines. He didn't consult God about that, but he went and did it. And what happened was that while he was there, uh, we read in chapter 29 some stories about Saul and the end of Saul's life, but uh, in, uh, in chapter 28 and then in chapter 29... And 30, we see a story there, which I can't read to you particularly all of it, but I'm going to pick up from verse 1 of chapter 30. What had happened is, they've been allocated Ziklag to live in, and uh, they have been going out and uh, uh, conquering certain tribes around to to win certain battles. And then they find themselves in the invidious situation where the Philistines are now going to go to war against his own people, the Hebrews. And David, having found favour with Achish, the Philistine king at that particular time, his men are going to be included in the army that's going to go and fight his own people. What a strange scenario we sometimes find ourselves in when we haven't consulted God. And the story goes... um, that David and his men in chapter 30, David and his men reach Ziklag. Oh, no, I, I haven't, I'm reading, I'm preempting. Um, v- verse 1 of 29, the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped at the str- uh, spring in Jezreel. And as the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? This is David in the back. Achish replied, is this not David who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He he has already been with me for over a year and from the day he left Saul until now I have found no fault in him. Again, I'm not going to read the whole story but what happens is the commanders of the Philistine army said, no way! David is not going to march out with us. In the middle of a battle he's likely to change sides and he's likely to cause us a great deal of difficulty. He's not going to march out with us. So Achish goes back to David and says, David, I'm sorry, the commanders say you can't do that. And David says, why? Haven't I been with you for this year? Haven't I proved myself? And Achish is willing to make him the, uh, the bodyguard, if you like, of his, uh, of his royal entourage because he was being so faithful, it seemingly, seemingly was the case. But the Achish says, no, I'm sorry, I have to listen to the other Philistine leaders. You must go back. And so, so David feigns all being hurt and what have you and, and uh, he's, he, he, he looks like he's upset. I'm quite sure he's probably glad he didn't have to fight the, the Hebrews. But what happens is that as he's been away from Ziklag, we find that an, an, another army, the Amalekites, have come and conquered his own town and taken his wife and his kids and all the families and everything that belongs to the soldiers. We find that story in chapter 30. David and the men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them but carried them off as they went on their way. Verse 3, when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. 
So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahim of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. And then we come to this little text that we're looking at this morning. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Well, that's our reading, and that's a, a good thing to be doing a reading. We're going to just unpack that story for, in a little while. But first and foremost, let's just remind ourselves of the little tests that God puts in our way sometimes to bring us to that place where we will be ready to take the position of authority that God has placed on our lives. Let me tell you, folks, God hasn't just saved you and made you comfortable. He's working out a will and purpose in your life so that he can use you to his glory in days to come. He hasn't just saved you to populate heaven. Someone agree with me? If he had, if that was the reason why we got saved, the best thing I could do is when you got saved, knock you on the head and get you up there quickly. Save you a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? Or better still, drown you in the baptistry. That would be even more spiritual, wouldn't it? eh? No more troubles, no more trials, no more going through the wilderness. All I know is I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But God hasn't just saved us for heaven. There is a heaven for those who know and love the Lord Jesus. He saved us that we may be used as implements in his hand to win battles on this earth before we get to heaven. And for that to happen, for King David to one day reign as king, he's going to have to have training for reigning. And that's the case with us as well. God is going to have to send us through a process. And the patience test is a huge test for many of us. David had fled to Ziklag, hiding for seven years. He may well have written that Psalm 13 at that particular time. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The Psalm goes on to say, How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and, and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? anyone in this room, you've been saying, God, how long? I believe you're a God who heals, but you haven't healed me, Lord. I believe you're a God who provides, but you don't seem to be providing. I, I believe you're a God who delivers, but you don't seem to be doing it for me, Lord. Everyone else in church seems to get their prayers answered, but it seems not the case for me. I'm going to tell you, remind you, there's no instant answers and God is in a process and very often the very issue that you're having to face God over at the moment is the process that he's put you in, putting you through so that you may be better in the future. He's pruning maybe. David starts doing something that we're all very prone to do. He starts making decisions without consulting God. After all, it's seven jolly long years... We find that interesting little phrase in verse 1 of chapter 27, which we've already read, but David thought to himself. Anybody apart from me got to that place where you thought to yourself? You started reasoning your own thinking. You thought, well, God doesn't seem to be in this. Where are you, Lord? And so you started working things out for yourself. He came to the wrong conclusion. David is actually prone to talk to himself. We're going to find later on he's going to actually chiver himself on, off in the, in the Psalms. He's going to say, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you dispirited? Anybody apart from me speak to yourself every now and then? Have a little natter? I do it quite regularly. All right. But here he's having a, a little negative little chat with himself. But David thought to himself, one of these days I'm going to be destroyed by this hand of Saul. Well, he's already been told that he's going to become king. So that's not going to happen. But certainly he's got to the stage where he's having a little negative little pity party. Oh, 
It's not fair, God. The best thing I can do then is to escape to the land of the Philistines. He was not taking time to listen to the voice of God. So the patience test. It's something that we've all had to face and you're going to find every time you open the Bible there's some character in the Bible that has to face this despondency. And I'm going to suggest that you don't yield to despondency. I could pick out from any place in the Bible illustrations of of, of characters who have men of God, mighty men and women of God, who have thought for themselves and ended up in a mess. Remember those spies. I pick out one example. The The 12 spies who go off into... Uh, spy the, in, in, uh, Moses sends them out to spy out the promised land and ten of them come back with a negative report saying we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes we look like the same to them in other words they didn't know that that's the case that these, these folks in the promised land were thinking about them but they thought of themselves as negative three most important questions when you're considering your situation as you stand at the moment what does God think about us? Not what they, these, these people in these armies that are against us or whoever is against us. What does God think about me? What do we think about God? Is he still sovereign? Is he still in control? Is he still the one that, that has the answers to all of our questions? Our Thursday morning meeting, Sunday, uh, our Thursday morning prayer meeting, we meet very early and we meet, it's open to anybody who'd like to join us from half six to eight o'clock every Thursday morning and, and every now and then somebody will strike up a chorus and one of our dear ladies who's there faithfully struck up a chorus. I, I've been on holiday and I came back and David, uh, 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 John, you were very excited about this chorus and they started singing this to me. And it, it simply says, God has the final say. Or who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. We're going to teach that chorus, not today, but another time. God has the final say. So, what does God think about me? What what do I think about God? Is he still got the final say? Is he still sovereign over life and death? Is he still sovereign? Does he know the beginning from the end? Yes, he does. What do we think about ourselves? These folks thought that they were just like little grasshoppers. So don't yield to despondency. So the patience test David was going to have to go through. And we get to these seven points in a little while. They're very brief, so don't get too worried. But then not only that, he had to deal with the compromise test. Because he says he thought to himself. I'd like to suggest and tell you that one of the best bit of advice I can give you is that God is willing to be consulted about any issue, no matter how small or great. I've made you laugh before now, but I mean it. Before you go shopping, ask God where the best deals are. Anybody, has anybody had that experience where you've asked God, Lord, where's the best deals? Where can I get the best value for money? As I've often said, if, you, if God does save you money in that way, remember to tithe on it. Okay, but that's just another thing. But the compromise test, the simple lesson of inquiring of the Lord, you will find in the life of David that at the various stages, many stages, he inquired of the Lord. He simply asked, God, what would you have me do in this situation? Some folks have even worn the little band. I don't wear them, but some folks do. What would Jesus do in this situation? Simply asking, God, I don't understand what's going on at the moment, but where are you in this? Or basically, you get up on a Monday morning and you might say, God, please, I need your help through this day. A simple conversation with God will very often help you through your day. 
David reaches rock bottom, as did many other Bible characters. He got to that place where he could not understand where God was in this. And I'm not suggesting that maybe you've reached rock bottom, you'd be with Peter and many others who've done that. But in case you've come to church this morning, you've come to the right place. But hopefully you haven't just come to church, you've come to Jesus. Do you know there's a difference between coming to church and coming to Jesus? Do you know you could sit through this service, you could laugh with everyone, you could enjoy what's going on, but never have an encounter with Jesus. My prayer and my heart's desire is that everybody that walks through this door, they will get zapped by the Holy Spirit. That something will happen in your heart and your life that will stir you to recognise something way beyond anything that's going on around you. Certainly way beyond the talents of any preacher or worship leader or children's worker or whatever. You would just walk out and say, I don't know what it was, but it just, I just knew that something was going on there in my life. We call it the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you, is the work of the Holy Spirit going on in your life at the moment or have you closed the door to him? You can close the door in all sorts of, other, in all sorts of ways. Maybe you've got, you've got so busy that you haven't given God a chance in your life lately. Maybe you ran well in times past, but now you're not going anywhere with God because you've closed the, the door to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe circumstances have crowded out God in your life in such a way that you thought, well, I'm either too busy or I'm too hurt or I'm too this or I'm too that. I want to ask you, whether or not you're at rock bottom, take, a ti- take time out to inquire of the Lord. Take time to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this lovely verse. When he's down at rock bottom, he's now, all of his men are, are ready to stone him because all of their wives and all of their children and all of their belongings have been removed and taken off by the Amalekites and, and, and they've got to blame somebody. You're the leader, David. You must have made this choice. Why did you allow us to go there? Why didn't you leave some of the troops back in the camp, which is what they normally did? They'd normally leave at least a couple of hundreds of guards of stuff. But all of them had gone off. And so they turn on David. And it may well be that you've been turned on by somebody recently. Somebody's had some nasty words to say about you. Well, before you give them a piece of your mind, and there's not many of us that can afford a piece of our mind, before you do give them a piece of your mind, just take a little bit of time to think and maybe inquire of the Lord. And that's what David is. David found strength in the Lord his God. And so we move on to what the, the initial subject was that I was going to talk about. The seven things you can do when it seems there's nothing more for you to do. Here's number one. It's not rocket science, folks, I promise you. There's nothing particularly profound here, but I give it to you anyway. Number one, realise that you're in the situation with God's knowledge. That nothing surprises God. He's never in a hurry because he's never late. He's never, he, he's never confused. He's never... Um, you know, I got the idea that some folks have, have got the idea of, of, of Jesus pacing the corridors of heaven. One almost biting his nails, wondering what the devil's going to do next. Oh no, the devil has done this, and oh, there's been a, a, a tragedy there, or something different, and there's God, or there's Jesus worrying. Oh, what will the devil do? I want to tell you, God knows the beginning from the end. He's never surprised. Whatever's come your way recently, or in the last few years, Jesus knew about it. That's probably why he was preparing you for it. You didn't know that he was preparing you for it. But he was. Your situation didn't happen without God's knowledge and permission. He either intended it or he, he permitted it. It's as simple as that. In Romans 8, 
28 simply is true. God is working together for good. Not, not, working, uh, not, not sending the situation, but in the situation, God is working for good. Matthew 10, 29. Not one sparrow falls to the ground without God's permission. Folks, you just need to hear this because there are some Christians and there are some preachers who say, if you're walking with Jesus, everything's going to be fine and you're going to be healthy, wealthy and wise. Oh, listen, prosperity. Oh, you're going to get prosperity. You're going to have health. If you're sick, oh, goodness gracious, something wrong with your faith. Let me tell you this. Click the button, please. This is true. I know you can be in God's will, yet be in a hard situation. And I don't care whether what those white-suited men on God's channel tell you, there are times when you are going to go through the wilderness... Uh, some of you are smiling. Oh, I know. I can always tell the God Channel folks. Okay. Yeah, good, good. Okay. God Channel's okay. It's got some good teaching and what have you. But don't listen to the stuff that says everything's going to be fine and dandy. David was seven years in this wilderness and he had done nothing wrong. He made a few mistakes, but it was part of God's training for reigning. And sometimes you say, well. <laughs> What is God up to? He knows exactly what he's doing. Realise you're in the situation with God's knowledge. He will lead you in and he will lead you out. There's a list of people. I could go through a long list, but Hagar, the single mother. Why is it that God allowed such a horrible thing to happen to her? If you know your Bible, you know that story. Joseph, the innocent dreamer, thrown into prison, in a pit and what have you. He was innocent. God had promised him that he was going to become a ruler. David, the young psalmist. The disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Lord, what is this storm all about? I love 1 Peter 5 and 12 in the message. It says, Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Like that. That's the message. Let me read it to you again. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. What if it's my fault, you say? I'm in this situation because I've sinned and yes, Let me tell you, there isn't one person in this room who hasn't sinned. And they look nice and respectable around you, but if you knew what had gone on in their mind or in their actions this last week, we all stand condemned. That's why we have communion regularly. We haven't got it this morning, but we have it every other week. Because if we confess our sin, he's he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't let the devil tell you, oh, it's your fault you're in this mess. It may well be. If you eat green apples, you will get sick. If you play around with sex, you could land up in a big mess. So it may well be your fault. But is that the end? Has God written you off? Who's glad that he's the God of the second chance? What about the third chance? The 50th chance, yes! I think we should all be... Woo! Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, thank you. All right, stop now. All right, that's enough. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Listen, God, God can bring you out. Though he fail, though he fall, he should not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Two, two of David's Psalms. The, the verse I've quoted, 1 John 1, about if we confess our sin, Romans 8:28, which I've already confessed. 
That was point number one. I said I've got seven, so let's move on quickly and we're going to finish at our normal time, 12 o'clock. Number two, seek God's glory rather than your comfort in the middle of the situation. Point number one was quite simply that God knew about the situation that you're in at the moment. Realise that you're in the situation with God's knowledge. Point number two, seek God's glory rather than your comfort. How can God receive glory even in the midst of this situation? David is now going to be stoned. He's going to lose his life. Everyone's against him. Where is God's glory in that? Well, you know that he wrote all sorts of psalms in those kind of situations. I'm not going to read a psalm now, but if I just re- remind you that John 11, when the two, two sisters lost their, their, their brother in death, and they come to Jesus, if you had only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus replied, if you believe, you shall see the glory of God. The glory of God can be in any situation if we allow him to reveal that glory. Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honour me or give me glory. We call on God in the difficult times. So seek God's glory rather than your comfort. Number three, keep your eyes on Jesus. Psalm 34, which is I've quoted many times, when David was feigning mad, madness in front of Abimelech, he writes this fantastic psalm, I will bless the Lord at all times. And part of that psalm is this. Um, is it up on the... Yes, the, right, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. There's all sorts of other illustrations. I can't give them to you, but the battle of uh, Jehoshaphat's felt wrong on there, by the way, but, uh, the eyes, uh, but our eyes are upon you. Paul, I will mention this, just press the button again. Paul seems to talk a lot about the devil and Satan. And we get much of our teaching about him on that. But if you understand that my point here is to keep your eyes on Jesus... I know some Christians who, who find the devil in every situation, and he may well be, but I want to tell you, if you focus on Jesus more than the devil, you're going to be in a better situation. They'll find demons under every, every leaf, as it were, under every bed. Let me give you some statistics about Paul's teaching. He taught us more about the devil than most. He, 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 he talked about Satan ten times and the devil six times, but in his letters he mentions Jesus 219 times, the Lord 272 times, Christ 389 times, okay, Satan ten times and the devil six times. That's one in every 50 times, 55 times. He mentions the devil, yes, but 55 more times he mentions Jesus. Folks, Stop looking at the devil. Look at Jesus. Focus on him. We're not ignorant of his devices. Yes, I'll give teaching on spiritual warfare, but I tell you, it's good advice to keep your eyes on Jesus. That old song, John, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. You put those binoculars to your eyes and you can see something in the distance and everything else goes out of focus. Your problems will go out of focus when you're focused on Jesus. Got any river? Oh dear. Got any rivers you think are on cross? Oh, I better not. I'll go back on a long way in my choruses. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Number four, let's quickly now. Give God room to work. As a lovely little, little, little addition to the story, which we haven't read, but I've put it up on here. Let me give you this little part. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, after he's been threatened to be stoned, Bring me the ephod. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Pursue them? you will certainly overtake them and succeed. So he inquires of God and he then goes off and does what God says and he, um, he, he wins the battle. 
And our little phrase here, don't be afraid. But these two little points go together. Don't give God room to work. The second point is take the next step by faith. Because once I've given God room to speak to me, once I've given God room to do something fresh in my life, then he will always give me the opportunity to respond in faith. And carrying on, what happens was they go out and coincidentally, this is one of those little miracles of grace. If you know the story, you know what I'm just about to tell you. That as they're going on their way, they find an Egyptian, not an Amalekite, if it was Amalekite, they'd have to kill him, but an Egyptian servant who happens to have been discarded by the Amalekites because, you know, slaves were, were, were cast off anyway. And they approach this man who was, who was needing help himself and they inquire of this Egyptian. Now I want to tell you, God is able to put folks along your path just whenever you need one. Has anybody had that experience? Where God sends somebody by grace and you, you just, in the most unlikely circumstances, he steps in because you took a step of faith. You actually took the effort to make, make an effort to maybe just get right with God. They found an Egyptian in the field and that Egyptian was able to tell them that yes, the, the Amalekites have gone in a certain direction and what have you. And, and I could talk about the prodigal. I will arise. In other words, he took the step. The next step um, may seem a big step but you need to do it one day at a time. I'm going to draw things to a conclusion here. Um, the other two lessons that I would have given you had I time and we could have developed them is that pick up something useful on the way in Psalm 23. David says, When I go through the valley of the shadow of the death, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I've always said before now, and I've probably said it here before now, that there are two things as a minister I want more in my ministry and that is one, the rod of authority so I can say in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. I like also the staff of comfort so that I can be the best pastor I can be. And interestingly, the rod and the staff are found in the valleys. So if you're in a valley now, if you're in a desert, if you're in a trial period, look around for something to pick up because you could learn something in that situation that will take you on to become a stronger and a better Christian in in your experience. So pick up something useful when you're in that scenario. And then my final point comes from Psalm 34. Remember to praise God in all circumstances. I will bless the Lord at all times. Well now, John, could you join me? I'd I'd love to sing that song again, please. Strength will rise. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Just click on that last picture, David, if you have it. Sorry, I know you've turned it off now. The last slide, the, the verse that we're just about to sing, if it's possible to see it up here, comes from Isaiah 40. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. After we've sung this song, I'm going to invite our ministry team just to come and be available down the front here. I know... I don't have to be a prophet, but I know that there are some of you who are at wit's end corner. I know that some of you have been asking God how long. I know that some of you are wanting healing in your body or wanting God to intervene. It may well be a step of faith to come and agree with somebody on the prayer line is what you need to do. You need to come forward and say, God, 
I don't have to tell everything, spill my guts to this girl. I don't have to tell them everything, but at least I'm going to step forward and say, I need your help with this situation. That step of faith may well be the beginning of something new in your life. Ministry team, join me down the front here. Let's sing this lovely song. Can we stand as we sing it, shall we?